of St. John. We are studying these personalities chapter by chapter, and we come to the third message and the third chapter. A title is Nicodemus, the man who came by night. Now, Nicodemus was not the last man to come to Jesus by night. He may be the first one on record, but he certainly is not the last. Many come to him in the nighttime of human experience, and there's nothing wrong with that. At a child's grave, some come. In a hospital sick room, some have come. When a marriage is teetering, some come. Through all kinds of human experience, people find Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was a man hungry for God. He had a desire for reality, and that desire led him to Jesus Christ. He was a leader of the Jews. Therefore, he came by night. Many like him are all around us in today's world hungry for God, reaching out for reality, not always knowing where to find it, but reaching out. The bread of life is offered. The fount of living water is available. And no matter what time people come, it's always the right time. I don't hold it against Nicodemus for coming at night. I appreciate the fact that he came at all to Jesus, for he was a well-known and important leader in the community, and Jesus was a newcomer in Jerusalem. Some people have said to me, I won't come to Christ when the chips are down. If I can't come when things are good, I'm not going to come when they're bad. And I ask, why not? Why not? Many a serviceman came when bullets were flying over his head. Many a person has come to him when life seemed to be busting up all around him. The master is available at night or during the day. That's one of the great truths of John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. There are two aspects to this story that I want to share with you today. One of them is the nature of spiritual experience, and the other is the source of spiritual experience. First, let us deal with the nature of spiritual experience. Nicodemus asked Jesus a question in John 3, a question that you may have asked. How can a man be born when he is old? I do not believe that to be a sarcastic question. I believe Nicodemus was afraid that he was too old to change. I believe that Nicodemus felt it was too late in life to do anything about this hunger that he felt down in his soul. He realized that the birth Jesus was talking about would take a miracle and he could not understand how such a miracle could take place. To Nicodemus, 
The whole situation seemed hopeless, beyond his control. But maybe, maybe, by his question, how can a man be born when he is old? There was a faint ray of hope, a last chance that he wanted to latch on to. On the other hand, as a student of the law, maybe he remembered the words of Jeremiah the prophet when he said, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Both of these elements will be present in these next few minutes as we deal with the eternal word of God. There would be that faint ray of hope could it be that God would accept me in the nighttime of my experience? On the other hand, there will come that voice that says, Can a man change the color of his skin? Can an animal, a leopard, change the spots that are upon him? Be aware that this struggle is normal and it is natural and it is as old as this passage in John chapter 3. How is this new birth made possible? Well, if you understand the gospel, you will know that it's through a cleansing from all the old sin that brings death to us. Jesus was showing to this man the necessity of spiritual birth as well as natural birth. Now understand that when Jesus in verse 5 says, unless one is born of water, he was not referring to baptism. He was referring to physical birth. He was referring to the breaking of the membrane, the releasing of the water that always precedes the birth of a baby. Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. The next verse helps us to understand it when he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Water. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So if you've ever wondered what Jesus meant by that statement, that's exactly what he means. It's spiritual and it's supernatural. Without this cleansing, it would be impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's where faith takes hold. You cannot understand it. You cannot comprehend it in the natural. It is much like the problem we're facing in California today over the science textbooks for our schools. They have sent them back for revision because, they say, the evolution theory is not strong enough in the textbook. What we have asked is that there be equal treatment to the theory of evolution and the fact of creation. We have no trouble with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. I have no problem within the species for development and growth, but it all started somewhere. And long ago, I settled that through an act of faith and will. I took the Bible record 
And I said, I believe that. In the beginning, God. He started it. He created it. From there, there is growth and development and refinement within the species. That can be proven. That is true. But it all started with God. And it's a shame that young people are not told that in a classroom of higher learning because that's the highest form of learning you'll ever get, the learning of faith and of understanding through trust. We have the same exact principle here in John 3 where by faith we accept what God has provided through Christ. It is not a case of God not allowing people to enter heaven without the new birth. It is a case of human nature untransformed by the Spirit to be at home in such an environment. The same reason people don't come to church. They don't feel at home when they don't have faith. They don't feel comfortable. Well, why would God open up his heaven to these people who feel uncomfortable in an untransformed position? They would not enjoy it. No training can make the tortoise as swift as the antelope. No amount of training can make the antelope as strong as a lion. They will be what their nature is. It would take an act of God to change that. So that is the message of John 3. It is man's highest destiny to live with God forever. The creed says that, and I agree with it. It is man's highest destiny to live with God forever, but human nature in its present fallen condition does not possess the capacities for living in that pure environment. Heavenly life must come down from above and transform our nature. This is what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. It is the most needed message in the world today, in my opinion. It answers most all of the questions that man is posing today. It has to be taken by faith. Jesus further explains it with the illustration of the wind. How mysterious is the wind? Notice what he's trying to get Nicodemus to understand. One, there is an element of secrecy about the wind. No one has ever seen the wind. The keenest eye cannot behold it, but it can be heard. You have never heard anybody say in their right mind, I saw the wind today. But you have heard them say, I hear the wind. Some of the nicest moments of my life have been in bed at night with the storm outside raging, the wind blowing. There's just something cozy about the covers. When outside, you hear the wind. You understand? You slink down in between those new sheets. It's Friday night. That's when ours are changed. Friday's the day. Oh, I love Friday night. 
they smell good, they feel good, and you get down in there as far as you can, and you listen, and the wind is blowing, and the rain is falling, and you say, hallelujah, this is wonderful. <laughs> you with me? Oh, I like it. But you never see it. You only hear it. It has a distinctive sound as it rushes through the trees of the forest or as it beats upon the house. You could lift the blind and look out and see the wind bending the trees. You may hear the whistle, but it remains invisible. Jesus says, Nicodemus, what I'm talking to you about is just exactly like that. So are the movements of the Spirit of God, he's saying. Spiritual process cannot be seen. That's what makes it so difficult for people who have to operate by sight rather than by faith. The secret of conversion and of God's dealings with mankind is not in the operation but in the results of that which he's doing. To be able to see it in its results, the change that comes, lives that produce fruit, a body of living dynamic people speaking out for Jesus Christ, who once were saying, I don't understand, I don't comprehend. But now who say, I was lost, I'm found. I was blind, I see. I have been transformed by the grace of God. The wind cannot be understood. You could go to a six-year study on the wind, and you'll never understand the wind. But it can be experienced. You can feel it in your face on a hot day. You can observe it affecting the weather patterns for our benefit, drying up the earth after a heavy rain. It brings to us its blessings. The clouds that carry the rain and the breath that cools our brow, it brings us the very life that we breathe, this thing called wind, yet we do not understand it. And I say, isn't that wonderful? that God is so put together that we cannot understand him totally. He wouldn't be God if we could. But when we take by faith what he has said, it works. And we find transformation within. Jesus is calling upon this man who came by night to believe and to experience the workings of the Holy Spirit, to believe God and to trust Jesus as his Savior. And he's asking us the same thing, just like we accept the wind. Mysterious, yes, but real. William Jennings Bryan said on one occasion, and I don't know how better to say it than the way he said it, I am not so much of a farmer as some people claim but I have observed the watermelon seed. It has the power of drawing from the ground and through itself 
200,000 times its weight. And when you can tell me how it takes this material and out of it colors an outside surface beyond the imitation of art and then forms inside of it a white rind and within that again a red heart thickly inlaid with black seeds, each one of which in turn is capable of drawing through itself 200,000 times its weight. When you can explain to me the mystery of a watermelon, you can ask me to explain to you the mystery of God. Oh, yes. Oh, the nature of spiritual life. No one can explain it. But there it is, all around you to see. Just like after the winter, when everything is brown and dark and dead, spring erupts. How can you explain the grass that suddenly changes, the trees that suddenly grow inches, and flowers that blossom? You can't explain it outside of God but you can experience it. And that is the nature of what Jesus speaks to this man of as he came to him by night. My friends, hear me today. In your night of experience, you're back up against the wall. Jesus stands there with a ready smile on his face saying, try me, try me, test me. You don't understand it? Good. I will help you experience it. And you will know all about the wind. The second thing is the source. A question again by this man who came by night. A question you've asked. How can these things be? What is it? Again, sarcasm? No. I think it is the question or the expression of desire. How can this be? I want to believe it. I want to accept that. I want to receive that. But how can this thing be? Well, there are three things, then, that we need to share. One, you must accept the authority of Jesus. You must accept the word of Christ. That's so simple. Now we've been deluded because some say there are many ways. No. Some say there are many voices. No. You have to accept the authority of Jesus Christ. Rajneesh is not the way. Hare Krishna is not the way. There is only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave who? His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's right there. You must accept the authority and the word of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus that brings us in touch with heaven. The Spirit takes his word and makes it life to our souls. I noticed an ad on the religion page a week ago yesterday. 
of one of these gurus who is going to be in Sacramento at the Holodome sharing several hours of instruction, inviting the community to come to learn about peace and to learn about life. No way! If it works so well, why is India in the position it's in today? Why is Pakistan in the condition it's in today? Because there's darkness there. There's no life there. There's no hope there. There's no instruction there that comes out of revelation. Jesus is the way and the only way. And you must accept the authority of his word even as he gave it to Nicodemus in John 3. It's the only solution. The only one. When you accept it, you begin to see the results of it. Now, secondly, you must believe in the cross. Jesus said, as he reached back into the book of Numbers, chapter 21, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The cross upon which Jesus died is a refuge in which we can hide. The story, of course, is the serpents, the fiery serpents that were biting all of the Israelis, dying from the serpents' bites. God said to Moses, put a pole up, and on the pole put a brazen serpent, and everyone who looks will live. They did, and it was so. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 helps us here, along with John 3, where Paul said that Jesus actually became sin for us, who knew no sin, that through the righteousness of God, we could be made righteous. We could be made godly. He who knew no sin was hung on a pole for you and for me as the Son of Man is lifted up. You live. Now I have had people say, I don't like a bloody religion. Well, friend, I'm sorry. There is no other way to God than through the blood of Jesus that was shed on that old rugged cross. All of us have been bitten. The serpent's bite is a type of sin's destruction from Numbers 21. All of us have suffered from it. So God, in his wisdom and grace, erected a cross, had hung on that cross his only beloved son, so that we may look and live. That's all you have to do. Express your faith by looking. And the cross of Jesus Christ becomes the bridge over which you pass into his eternity. The authority of Jesus and the cross of Jesus, they are inseparable in this passage of Scripture. The third is in the 16th verse, the golden text of the Bible, the word loved. God so loved the world you must understand that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No matter what you've heard out there, God takes no pleasure in your pain, in your hurt. 
He takes no pleasure in perishing souls. The Bible clearly tells us in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And in 2 Peter 3, 9, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And there are people who say, how could a God of love permit the suffering of the world, the hunger, the starvation, the death, the disease, well, my friend, if you will think for a moment, you would have to agree with me that it's not God after all. James said that God tempts no man with evil. The sin that we see around us is what has brought the disease and what has brought the hunger and what has brought the death and God's heart breaks over it. But until we are willing to accept the authority of Jesus and come to the cross and know that God is a God of love and that nature never changes, He so loved that He gave and He wants the whole world to be saved, we'll never understand. We'll never come into a knowledge of truth. We'll never step into His eternal blessed heaven. The songwriter caught the theme when he said, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. You've got to enter in to the love of God, to the cross of Christ and the authority of Christ. And when you do, you will understand what the wind is doing out there. And you will see the results of it in your life. God so loved. And he will love us till the end. He sends his servants to preach to us. He sends his Holy Spirit to convict us. He sends his angels to guard us. Many of us would not be alive today if it had not been for the angels of God who in love sent them out to protect us and to guard us and to keep us. He gives us yet another day, another opportunity. Only his love would do that. God looks at you and sees a beautiful person waiting to be born. Would you like to hear that again? Some of you look a little surprised. God looks at you and sees a beautiful person waiting to be born. If you could see in a vision the man God meant you to be, the woman God meant you to be, you'd never be quiet again. Your mouth would be open to speak of his unsearchable grace and love. He wants to give you that vision today. They tell us that ants are born with wings. Did you know that? And they use those wings when they're born. That ants know the glory and rapture of flight is proven. But something happens in those ants because volitionally, deliberately, they tear those wings off, choosing to live their lives out as crawling insects, choosing that when God gave them the vast empire of the air, they have chosen to crawl on the ground until they die. Man is as foolish. Man makes the same mistake. Don't let it happen to you. God has made you to fly. God has made you to soar like the wings of an eagle, to understand this world in which you live and to know that it doesn't end when you close your eyes in death. It's merely the beginning. Did it work? with Nicodemus? Did he believe? 
Yes, I think he did. As we get to the latter chapters of John, you will find Nicodemus coming to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. I would like to bury him. He took his life into his own hands. Coming to Pilate, who could have crucified him as a follower of Jesus. But he said, I want to express my love by burial. And he, he brought myrrh and aloes. And he prepared the body of Jesus. And with Joseph of Arimathea, who provided the tomb, the two of them laid the body of Jesus to rest. I believe he understood. The world has a hypnotizing effect on us many times. An imprisonment develops, and we need to break loose. The Bastille in Paris, France, serves as an illustration of this great truth in John 3. It had become a symbol of total tyranny. Everyone said it's impossible to break out. When we use the word itself, Bastille, we think of something impregnable. Impossible. So everyone believed that it was impossible to break out. But due to the rack, due to other tortures in the Bastille, these imprisoned souls were pushed beyond endurance. Like madmen, they stormed the place in what seemed a hopeless attack. If you've ever read the story of the Bastille, you will remember that to their astonishment they found it garrisoned by only 30 troopers. In only four hours, the Bastille fell. The impossible was done. The Bastille was down. It happened on July the 14th, 1789, and a national holiday, holiday ensued in France. The kingdom of hell has fallen, Yet there are people who don't understand that. They're still in prison. They're still thinking that it's impossible. I'm too old. Or I'm too young. I'm too rich or I'm too poor. I'm too educated or I'm too uneducated. I'm unimportant to God. It's a lie. You can break through. Jesus Christ holds the keys to hell itself. The devil doesn't hold those. Jesus Christ holds the keys of hell, of death, and the grave. And the fact is that hell can be destroyed and defeated in your life. You can break out of the prison house. And indeed, it becomes a holiday, a birthday, when it happens. Our source, Jesus Christ. Now, in closing, let me get back to the statement in the early section of the chapter, he came by night. I said early, Nicodemus was not the last man to come by night. As I prepared for this service, God really dropped in my heart to finish with this important emphasis.
because of some who hear me today who have been locked up in a dark night. In 1968, an airplane was bound for New York City. They had their directions from the tower to descend. Bit by bit, they approached the airport and the runway, and as the pilot hit the landing gear, it would not engage. The wheels would not drop. So he went up and informed the tower that the landing gear would not engage. They told him to circle at a certain altitude, which he did, fiddling with that lever, trying to get the gears to engage when fuel was about to run out. He said, they will not engage. I request instruction. All this time, cheery voices were coming through the intercom, encouraging the passengers, giving them an update on what was going on, and stewardesses with happy countenances were moving through the plane, doing what they could do. Finally, passengers were told to place their heads between their knees and grab their ankles just before impact. And if you're ever on a plane and that word comes through, you'd better do it. That's the last word you're going to get. Other than this word, the pilot suddenly announced, we are beginning our final descent at this moment in accordance with international aviation codes established at Geneva. It is my obligation to inform you that if you believe in God, you should commence prayer. That's the last word that is said. The foam is spread out all over the runway. Fire trucks are standing by with ambulances. The belly landing occurred without a hitch. No one was injured, but great damage to the plane. The next day, a relative of one of the passengers called the airline and asked about that prayer rule the pilot had quoted. They said no comment. The only thing that brought out into the open a deep down secret rule was crises. Pushed to the brink, back to the wall, all escape routes closed, the foam is down. If you believe, you should commence prayer. Incredible, isn't it? But I'm here to tell you, God likes that. God's not angry with you. When you're on your last approach, and there's one last hope, if you believe in God, commence praying. Some of you with me a few years ago watched the television reports of Mount St. Helens and its eruption there was a reporter with a camera and a tape recorder near the mouth of that mountain when the top blew off, and he ran for his life, turned on his camera, turned on his recorder, and ran for his life. It became one of the interesting stories of that whole episode. Later on television, he said he vaguely remembered saying the things recorded, and they played the tape, and I quote verbatim, Oh God, oh my God, help. Help. Oh, Lord God, get me through. God, I need you. Please help me. I don't know where I am. 
Into the tape came more sobbing, more rapid breathing, spitting, gagging, coughing, panting. Then these words, it's so hot, so dark, help me, God, please, 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 please. He made it, but he vaguely remembered a word he said. Reminds me of Jonah. In the deep, he cried unto the Lord. It reminds me of David in Psalm 40, who said in the miry clay, I called unto the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me out of all my distress. Hallelujah. The camera is running. The tape recorder is on with your back against the wall. There are no alternative routes out of the city. This is it. The foam is on the runway. It's the last approach. Nicodemus came by night. God didn't make fun of him. God didn't say, why didn't you come earlier, you ruler of the Jews? Why didn't you come when you were a youth? No, he said, Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if you would just believe in him, you would never perish but have everlasting life. So simple and yet evidently so profound because so many miss it. No matter we need to come like a child today and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I need a Savior, and I receive you by faith. I don't see the wind, but I see the results of it. I don't see this thing called the Spirit at work, but I see the results of his work. And I want to be changed. I want to be touched. A man who came by night to remind us that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come. Let us bow our heads in prayer throughout this auditorium and let us ser seriously and sincerely seek the face of God together. We are in God's presence. Your heart is feeling the throb of the Holy Spirit. Everybody wants to be saved. That man at Mount St. Helens wanted to be saved, and in his moment of distress, his words were, Oh, my God, my Lord, help me, help me. God, help me. And in your moment of need, that's exactly what comes out from within. And there's one last hope, perhaps, for you, and you've tried church today. Oh, I'm so glad. We're going to make a landing, and we're going to be safe. Christian friend, if you're playing with both sides of the fence, quit it. Quit it. Serve God with all your heart. Stop trying to serve the world in Jesus, too. That's part of this truth. Come in the Spirit and let God use your life. Businessmen, don't compromise. Students, don't compromise. 
Jesus loves you and he'll make you a better person and he'll give you life everlasting. We cannot afford in this last hour to play games. Give him your life. Lord Jesus, I pray with my heart for this great audience of people, young people, young married people, middle-aged people, older people, all people that you love. Jesus, save us, heal us, lift us into the spirit world today where we can truly know why we are here and where we are going. Move by your wind, O Holy Spirit. With our heads bowed, may I ask how many of you would like to raise a hand and by that hand indicate your desire to know Christ personally. You must use your will. He'll never force his way in. He tenderly, tenderly invites you to receive him. Will you do it today and let me pray with you? Raise your hand and by that hand say, Pastor Cole, I need Christ in my life. I want to raise my hand and ask him to come in. Thank you here to my left. God bless you right there. Hold them up until I see them. Then you may put them down way over to the right in the corner back there. God bless you. Thank you right here in this section to my right, sir. I see your hand. God bless you. Hold them up until I see them. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand here toward the front. Back toward the back. Thank you back there. Hold them up. I want Christ in my life. Thank you back over here again to my right. Up in the balcony, I look up there a moment. Do I see hands in the balcony? Raise them up. I need Christ in my life. Pastor, pray with me and for me. I want to ask Jesus now to save me. Call upon him. Anyone up there as I look up into the balcony? Thank you right there in the front. God bless you. And another up there to my left. God bless you there. Oh, praise God for these. Back to the main floor, I look another time. You've not been included yet, but you'd like to be. Thank you right here in this section, two sections from the podium on my right. God bless you there. Anyone else now? Thank you back over here on my left. God bless you. To my right, thank you back there. Praise the Lord. And another right there. Staff members, would you come to the front? I want those of you who have raised your hand as others are praying. You're not going to disturb us. This is part of our worship time. I have something I want to give you that will help you in your walk with God now that you've made a choice. And I want to pray with you right here at the front. I would like you to stand right now. Those of you who raised your hand, just...